Welcome back to Self-Care with Dr. Sarah. We're here for the second episode of our Makeup Roundtable. And boy, do we have an A-list guest joining us this time. I could not be more excited. So sitting to my left physically in Cambridge is Chanda Prescott-Weinstein. Uh, so theoretical physicist at MIT in Edinburgh. Joining us from Scotland is my co-host, uh, Sarah Ruckheimer and Joining us from <laughs> joining us from from the L'Oreal Labs in Clark, New Jersey, is Belanda Otis, and she is the manager of the Women of Color Lab there. The connection there is that I won this wonderful L'Oreal Prize uh, a month ago, and I vis I got to actually physically visit the lab in New Jersey and get to know some folks at L'Oreal, and through that connection, we at this podcast have had this wonderful opportunity to actually talk uh, with Belanda. We wanted to ask not only kind of fun and playful questions about makeup, but also because Belanda resides at this intersection of being both a scientist and a specialist in makeup, we can get into these questions that are both things at the same time. Why don't, Belanda, we just start with, what did you do your master's degree in? Uh, fortunately for us on the East Coast and in this area, uh, we have a large concentration of cosmetic companies. With that, one of the universities in the area, uh, Fairleigh Dickinson University, created, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 years ago, a cosmetic science master's program. So my degree is in cosmetic chemistry. Oh, wow. It's a, a clear focus on all aspects from formulation, actually I'll backtrack, from understanding polymers and specific raw materials that are related to cosmetics, then going into formulation, uh, then going into uh, fragrance, microbiology, more of an analytical approach. So you really have a full scope of the cosmetic industry. So it includes everything. So that's what my master's is in. Whoa. What did you get your undergrad degree in? My undergrad degree is in biology. <laughs> so... so how did you make that transition going from biology and how did you realize that you wanted to do cosmetic chemistry? Because that's, that's a very specific program. Yeah. Well, what happened was my original desires in life was to be a forensic pathologist for the FBI. This was before CSI. So this <laughs> the love of trying to figure stuff out and going to crime scenes, I had that before CSI ever started. But however, both of my knees are reconstructed and I couldn't pass the FBI physical. So in order to even do that type of work, you have to be considered a field agent. And with that, I was just kind of cut out. So I, after, grad, after I graduated, I was kind of wondering, okay, what am I going to do with my career? I really didn't want to go into medicine, um, although most of my family is in medicine. I really didn't want to take that approach. So I started looking around and found a position um, at a competitor uh, working on hair care products, formulation for hair care. So that was my first interest into the cosmetic industry. And when I started there, I realized that, okay, 
I can create products that I actually like. And yeah. being a woman, like what better thing can you do is to create products that work for you. So the passion kind of grew from that. You know, growing up, I always had the desire to play with makeup, but now I was actually able to do it on the other side. So yeah. that was my, I guess, aha. My <laughs> wake up call, my, the moment of truth where I realized that, okay, I can do this. And from there, I started the master's program and then continued until I came to L'Oreal. Did your master's program involve a particular project that you had to start and then like bring to completion, like a particular item that you had to work on or something? What was it? My research was on the use of uh, fragrances and sunscreen, sunscreen products. Mm -hmm. So uh, sunscreens can impact the uh, level of SPF or the activity of the active. Uh, So the project was around how do we create an SPF product that isn't affected by uh, fragrances. So what do you have to exclude in the composition of the uh, fragrance to make sure that you have a product that stays fragranced and still is efficacious over time? Hmm. Interesting. Wow. I had no idea that was that's even so cool. a, a factor yeah, so cool. <laughs> in, in SPF uh, sunscreens. Wow, that's amazing. Yes. That's super cool. What are the main scientific questions that your team is working on at the Women of Color Lab? So currently, our focus uh, is twofold. Our primary focus, uh, our initial focus, is to understand the colors that make up the skin and how do we translate that into products that are uh, consumer-friendly or consumer-acceptable for the population. So what we do is we have a lot of studies around understanding the different skin tones and then trying to translate that into actual formulation. The second portion is the formulation. So knowing that women across the world have different skin concerns and skin issues that affect them differently, we know that we need to have specific formulations to address those concerns. So for example, countries where it's hot and humid, they have more issues or they're more prone to sweating. So how do you create a foundation that makes sure the color stays the same from the beginning of application to the end of application? And also to make sure that they don't look like they just stepped out of the sauna (laughs) and that their foundation still stays fresh. It looks freshly applied. So we have to focus on specific formulations, whether it's um, looking at polymers that absorb oil during the day or um, some type of uh, fillers that will entrap the oils during the course of the day. So different things that we have to research to make sure that we address the needs of the different consumers around the world. So we're charged with that now. So then do you, when you set all of these up, because this is, must be a wide range of permutations depending on the climate and, and the demographics. So then are these formulations sent out from different distribution centers and do they focus on different things for different areas or is it all coming from one central warehouse and everyone has the ability to select what works in there? What what we do is we first um, have to evaluate to make sure that what we've created worked. So we have evaluation teams really across the world where we submit these products for them to be evaluated on the specific consumers. For example, I was in South Africa uh, maybe two years ago doing a study to make sure that the technology we created works for them. So we test in that market, and then we in turn come back, create products for it, submit it to our divisions, our marketing divisions, and they in turn will place them in the right countries. 
Wow. Wow, I read um, a piece about you in Fast Company, Falanda. When I was like prepping for this interview, I was getting so excited. And that piece was talking about how you actually identified blue as a major undertone, right? Or it was aqua or ultramarine? Ultramarine blue. How did you end up actually implementing that into, into products? So what we realize is if we think of the color wheel, you know, when you think of color, yeah. color is a wheel. And as you go deeper uh, in intensity uh, or the L value, the lightness to the darkness of the skin, you actually go into a realm of violet. So if you think of the wheel, the primary colors, you have red and then you have blue, but in between that you have violet. And how do you achieve that violet skin tone is by the incorporation of blue. And what we found is that women with deeper skin tone weren't necessarily getting blacker, they were getting deeper in color. And that deepness was coming from more of a violet undertone. And to achieve that, we have to add the ultramarine blue. So that's kind of how we did it. So I'm kind of wondering, since you mentioned that um, you've you know, been outside of the United States and testing in different markets, one thing that I think a lot about is colors that we're told we can and cannot wear based on our skin tone. Was, my, my husband's Taiwanese-American, and I, I was telling him the other day about how for a long time people had this attitude that like black women weren't supposed to wear red lipstick because it didn't contrast off of um, darker skin the way it contrasts off of lighter skin, right? So I'm, I'm kind of curious, what has been your experience in terms of hearing about culture around makeup colors in, in different places that you've traveled? Like, is it different when you leave the United States in terms of what colors people think it's okay to wear and what the, what's normal and what's not? Very different. So traveling around the, the country, or around, I don't want to say traveling around the world, but when you go around the world, each country, I think, has their own set of shades that are acceptable for them. So even in our development here, I'll give an example for lip, they have shades that are developed specifically for that country. So for, I'll give, uh, say Brazil as an example. They like very vibrant colors, a little bit more vibrant than you would see in the US. So we develop colors and shades for them specifically to address the, the needs for them. Uh, in regards to um, shades that may not work for our deeper skin tones because of the contrast uh, that we give on the skin. That goes more to the type of formulation you have. So uh, a red lipstick uh, for a Caucasian person can look very different on a deeper skin tone. And it's really because when you look at the specific raw materials that are used, some of them impart color. And that color typically is, is white. So with that, that appearance on the lips will be very different than that on Caucasian. So in a lot of our formulations, what you see are much more transparent bases, which allow more of the color to come through rather than coming through of color and uh, say a white background. So you have to be very mindful that when you're creating uh, specific products uh, to exclude say the white bases so that you have true color coming through. So in twofold, one, there are countries that like very vibrant colors and in those colors, we have to make sure that the formulations are appropriate to be able to achieve that so they don't have that red lipstick when they put on that, and then it turns to orange because I've seen that happen as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <Wow. laughs> 
own something like 60 red lipsticks. So this uh. is like one of the reasons that I, I red came up. And I, I mean, I'm wearing red right now, right? Uh, well. <laughs> thank you. I, but I'm always like looking um, for, for the perfect red. And it's something that's in the back of my mind that for a long time when I was shopping for reds, even though like I'm, I'm fairly light skinned, I was still having this experience of looking in the mirror and going, this doesn't look the way I thought it was going to. Mm -hmm. And goes to your undertone, because as you say, you are fair, but the undertone of your skin also will impact the color that you see. So you're more of a warmer undertone. And then typically most Caucasians are of a cooler undertone. There's more red in their skin versus your skin that's more yellow. That also will impact the shade. So there are two things you have to look at. The undertone of the skin, as well as excluding white bases to make sure you have a more transparent base. So what are your, I guess I can ask you about L'Oreal products. So do you have reds that you like for women of color in particular? Or are there shades that you like for women of color in particular? This is just like a personal preference question, I guess. And I'm going to say, um, and it's only because I've seen them and I know they're working on even um, a larger palette of more true shades. Uh, Maybelline has come out with a line, I believe it's called Color Sensational. And that base is pretty. It's it's quite transparent, and some of the shades are incredible. I can't I can't talk to the ones that are coming out soon because they haven't yeah, been right, launched right, right. yet. But um, I see some people walking <laughs> here. You know, we're we're a testing facility, so uh, very often you have people walking in the hallways with red lipstick. You know, we have men here. They have nail polish on, so we see all kinds of things here. <laughs> So <laughs> I've seen some of the new shades that are coming out and they are very, very impressive, very bold, bright colors. And the, I'm looking at this on deeper skin tones as well. Phenomenal in terms of color. So um, color sensational right now is tester? the best. <laughs> <laughs> We're always looking, always looking. <laughs> Shonda volunteers this interview. I do. I volunteer. We'll talk after this. Um, Valanta, I wanted to ask whether your own personal makeup journey has changed as you've progressed up the career ladder. So we've been talking offline recently about makeup incorporating it into a scientific identity. And we've found that there's often some pushback there. So that wearing a, a face of makeup can often be perceived negatively, I think, in scientific spaces, even by other women. It's something which is really frustrating. It's really frustrating and it's really unfair. And being able to cope with that uh, has meant that my look has evolved over time. So now I wear whatever I feel really comfortable wearing. But that was not at all the case, you know, when I was in college or, or something like that. It's really taken time. Has, has your own look kind of evolved? My look has evolved significantly. I'm going to start from the younger years till today. Um, So growing up, like most girls do, you kind of dip and dab in your mother's makeup bag and and try to find things for you to put on that that work for you. And I, I, all honesty, my mother wore makeup, but I knew it didn't look good on her. And it was kind of like, okay, well, it doesn't look right on you. Maybe it'll look better on me. 
So I would put it on and then I see the same thing. Like, oh my gosh, this looks horrible. So I went through a period of, okay, I want to wear it, but it doesn't work. What do I do next? So it, it kind of, I felt like I was smarter than my mother when I went out and brought like several different shades and then tried to mix them together. I'm saying, I'm going to make something that works wow. for me. Like you don't like, you can keep wearing your ugly stuff. I'm going to find something that works better for me. But yeah. even then, it was that a challenge. That sounds like a scientist. Yeah, that's the start of it. That's the spark, you can see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, was the, that was the start. That was the start. So um, even then, I wasn't 100% satisfied, but I lived with it. So um, through high school, I kept wearing. And then college, I took a break because at the time, you know, who can think of, I, you guys are much better than me. You guys thought of makeup in college. I didn't have the oh, brain to be I, I didn't either, both. to be honest. I'm, I'm the outlier on, on this whole makeup circle. Uh, truth, truth be told, I wear makeup maybe like once every two weeks. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> well, I was, I was only the special occasion for in college. That was it. That's the only way you got me to wear it. Um, but then after when I graduated, I, you know, got into the cosmetic industry and I, I thought that, okay, you know, time has gone by. There has to be a better way. There has to be something better than having to mix a couple of different foundations just to get one. And what I found was like, oh my gosh, it's still the same thing. Fast forward 10, 15 years and I'm still having the same problem of trying to find the right foundation products or even forget foundation. I mean, just, not just foundation, but lip and eye and, you know, the eyeshadows were just too white. I would find a beautiful color in the pack and then put it on, just look like I had white chalk on. So, I mean, it was, it was really bad. Uh, so fortunately I came to L'Oreal and I was kind of given, I'll, I'll tell you how the whole story started for women of color. Um, there was a launch for, uh, one of the L'Oreal products, and it was designed for women who like pigment. So it was called high intensity pigments. And they came out with a range of, of shades, specifically foundation shades, um, to address a more broad range of skin tones. And the head of makeup, evaluate, the head of makeup at the time, uh, came to us and said, well, now you have something that works. You have this big shade range. Now you have something that you can wear. So we evaluated it, and it was basically the same thing we had always seen. The shades were either too ashy, they were too red, they were too orange, and didn't cover a large segment of the population. So he said, okay, don't like it, fix it. And it's really how we started the journey on understanding how to scientifically approach understanding color and skin, and then translating that into makeup. So through the years... I had the trials and tribulations just like every other woman in trying to find um, the best look. And, you know, now today with the range of shades that we're offering, I not only have more of a freedom to wear uh, foundation, which I wear a whole lot more now, <laughs> um, but I'm also uh, more confident to wear the eyeshadows, to wear the blush, to wear the lip color, because now I understand what type of products I can go to to make sure that I look just as good as everyone else. So it was quite a journey to get to where I am today. <laughs> do you do you have any products that you uh, created that, you know, particularly stick out to you in your memory of being something that, you know, was just like this was a breakthrough in, in the field of creating 
makeup for women of color? Well, the biggest challenge, so I'm going to stick with foundation because for me that was the, the biggest challenge. The biggest breakthrough, I think, is when we were able to launch a line that has uh, the ultramarine blue uh, in it. So today we have the, the L'Oreal True Match uh, shades, and then we also have the Lancome uh, Tunsi Doll. Uh, which are, I guess, the two primary brands, um, and also Maybelline, but the two primary brands that now have this type of offering. And it truly is a breakthrough. When we were going on tour to evaluate the shades, because there was a whole, outside of collecting the skin tones, we also traveled to different regions of the U.S. to try the shades on women to make sure that they were appropriate. And wow. we got to some areas and some um, parts of the country where we had women, after we would try it on, after they would try it on, basic, basically begging to keep <laughs> the product. It's like, we had this one woman, she was probably, I'd say in her 60s, and she's like, I've been going all my life and trying to find the best foundation, and this is awesome. Like, she had tears in her eyes. She was welling up. She's like, I don't, you don't understand what you guys are doing or what, you, what you've just done, and being able to give us something that we've just never had before. She's like, I've never had the opportunity to just be able to go pick up one product and put it on, and it actually looks good on me. She said, it's flawless. There's nothing. I can't tell I have anything on. So that, for us, was groundbreaking and really revolutionary because we were really actually able to change the way that women saw makeup and also gave them confidence in themselves because, you know, women... As you know, sometimes we lack a little bit of confidence and we need a little bit of something to kind of help boost us. And makeup does that for us sometimes. It really does. If you think of, uh, there's something called, um, oh gosh, the word escapes me right now, uh, lipstick recession. And the whole idea of the lipstick recession is that no matter how far you fall economically, women will never give up on their makeup. Because they may fall economically, but they need something to help boost them and to help motivate them and strengthen their spirits, if you would say. Makeup does that. So now we were able to give them something um, that they were able to go to to help make them feel better about themselves. Yeah. So I, your, your story about the foundation made me think about one of the, the troubles that I've run into with primers and sunblock. Um, is that they tend to pale me a lot, right? And then kind of this feeling of like now, I mean, this has actually happened to me, like if you go back and look at my prom photos from um, from high school, one of the things that happened is even for me, there weren't a lot of options, like in, I guess, when did I go to prom? Like in 1999. And so I'm like several shades paler than I should be in my prom photos. It was basically because they were like, well, we picked the darkest foundation for a white woman that we had <laughs> and we put it on you. And and I'm actually now like regularly reminded of that when like I'm putting um, primer on because it tends to make me a little bit pale and then I have to put some color back into my face. And so I kind of wonder like, um, are there things that you guys are working on that mm -hmm. help people address things like that? Or is there a magic trick that I didn't know about? Because <laughs> I have such oily skin that I actually have to be very careful about controlling the oil before I get the foundation on. Concerns of for women of color is the oily skin. And one of the things that women of color typically do is that they avoid ha putting any moisturizer on 
because the impression that it will impart more oily skin. So L'Oreal has been working on technology and there is actually product on the market. I can get you to the name a little bit later, but they have sunscreens that are non-oily and they do not impart color. So you'll put the SPF product on and it looks like you've just maybe you know, applied water onto your face. Um, because it doesn't impart any color uh, and doesn't have and that oily residue um, that most sunscreens have. Chemical sunscreens um, are very difficult for uh, formulators to use because they, they have a very oily feel to them. And then when you deal with the physical sunscreens, such as the titanium dioxide, they impart color. So for many years, women of color have always been challenged on wearing sunscreen. Uh, but because of that, there's been quite a push to improve the type of sunscreen offerings so that women can of color can also be protected. One of the things that they found out is that uh, women of color have a very high, um, are more prone now to having melanoma mm. because they're just not as capable of wearing sunscreens as, so, say, Caucasians. So the rate of melanoma is increasing in women of color because of the fact they don't typically wear it. So now there is really a push. That's me. Yeah, there's a, <laughs> actually a real push to now have uh, sunscreen products um, and primers to be more transparent so that they're more willing and accepting of these type of products. Um, I, I can still tell you that in the communities where you have deeper skin tones, there's still this big no that you don't wear sunscreens because you're going to look like a ghost. So... There's a lot of (laughs) so there's a lot of education going on now um, through uh, the American Association of Dermatology as well to kind of push the message through that there are product offerings for women of color to make sure that they're protected to make sure they reduce the amount of you know new cases of uh, of cancer. That's so interesting because it's this intersection of public health and science and makeup and you know. It's such a unique combination of all these factors, which are just, it's amazing that, that you're, that you guys are leading the way on that. That's awesome. What's kind of the, um, when you think of like a Mount Everest problem that you would like to solve, you know, that's maybe even five years away or something, what's a major project in the lab right now where it's eluded a solution so far, but it's something you'd love to see done eventually? Ah, let's see what I can talk to without revealing <laughs> top secret information. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Oh, well. <laughs> okay. So, uh, um, yeah, I'll, well, you could. I'll say what's something that I know is completely uh, in the future, um, but would love to see happen is if you think of skin tones, uh, this is at least how I, I think of skin tones is that every day a child is born. Every day there's X number of children who are born in this world. So for me, every day, you're adding more skin type or skin color to the population. And how do we account or how do we provide products for this new demographic, this new population? National Geographic has this lovely article that they did of the changing face of America and what it would look like in 2050. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at it, you have a whole lot of different skin tones. And how do we yeah. account for that? How do we provide for them in the future? So 
if you look at it that way and then think of how you purchase your product today, you go to a store, you go to a counter, you go to a shop, and you try to find the best shade amongst the maximum 33 types of shades. No, no, no. Okay, I'm going to invite you. shades represent the world. Man, she was like... That exists today. I would say no. I would say that there's still room for improvement. So for me, the future is creating smart pigments and colorants so that it addresses every single person at the point of them applying the product. That makes sense. For me, we're never going to get to a point where we stop. So for me, there is no stop in the development of uh, new skin tones, meaning we can't stop in creating foundation shades. So for me, the future um, is to create uh, true smart pigments um, that allow for anyone to put a product on and instantaneously have their perfect foundation match. Wow. So what? It's quite yeah. futuristic. That the future? uh, that's the future <laughs> I see. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. That, that wow. would be so, so incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, today, today, you know, there, there are talk of smart pigments, but I'm, you know, our search is for to to be able to apply something that every consumer can find their match so um Hmm. you know it's quite some years down the road um there's no clear technical path for us to follow at this point however um fortunately there are uh, tons of research going on every day in uh in the field of color so we anticipate in 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 some part of the future (laughs) that this will exist that is that is our, our 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 revolution that is what we look for Wow. wow. Yeah. Our minds are just totally. Blown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My we mind is completely like blown. what to say. So <laughs> <My mind. laughs> um, if we don't have that much time left with you, will you tell us about some of your own favorite products, especially what you like to do when you're taking a moment for yourself to take care of yourself at the end of a stressful day, or or something like that, or even the daily products that just make you feel more confident? What do you, what comes to mind? Uh, let's see. Well. First off, uh, I don't have so much time on my hand because I go home and I like to say job number two starts because we are women and <laughs> I, I have a, I have a daughter at home and another daughter on the way and yeah, you know, job number two starts. So um, I don't have a whole lot of time, but when I do have time, um, my one of my new things is uh, Carol Carol's Daughter. Uh, Carol's Daughter is a line of... Um, products uh, that has wonderfully fragranced lotions and body creams and you know after you relax and you're able to to take a nice hot shower and you put on this you know there's this one that's called almond souffle and it smells like heaven so you put it on I just I just zone out I zone out after that like I don't know anything else that's like the last thing I do in the day so that when I get to you know, decompress and then to relax, I'm just enjoying my almond souffle. So <laughs> that is my, that's my, that's my thing today. <laughs> yeah, no wonder you did your master's in fragrances. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yes. You know, that was one thing um, that I, I really use today. You know, there's not too much of fragrance in cosmetic products, but, you know, whenever we have the opportunity to work with fragrances, I love it because there's so many different notes that you pick up on. And understanding, you know, your top, middle, and bottom notes and how you create a, a bouquet 
based on different ingredients and different oils and so it's a fragrance is a, a different world and it's on its own super super interesting um, but when I get to really have something that smells lovely I, I really appreciate I guess I appreciate it a little bit more because I understand the notes in there and what kind of makes wow, this yeah. wonderful bouquet that you know the consumer is safe and to say that my favorite perfume in the world right now is called La Vie est Belle. It's by Lancome. That is amazing. I get so much compliments. I can't wait to smell it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's the best. It really is. I get so much compliments. I get stopped. Like, what are you wearing? It's a, a, it's a, it's amazing. It smells so, it's light. It's not, you know, too, uh, it's not too forceful. Um, it's just light enough that you smell something and, and it, it's just, it's comforting at the same time. I mean, I feel like, I feel like luxury when I wear it. <laughs> Man, I can't wait to go to Sephora and yeah, smell Yeah, we have to go to Sephora <laughs> <and> <laughs> smell it. Oh, I'm telling you, you'll love it. You'll um, love it. So I, I guess one question that I, I had mentioned I wanted to ask was, whether you had message or advice that you wanted to offer um, to women scientists, to women of color scientists, black women in particular, about surviving and thriving as a black woman or a woman of color in the laboratory as a creative thinker in a scientific manner. Yeah, um, you know, I think the primary, the first approach is to be exactly what you just said, a creative thinker. You have to find a way to, whatever it is that you like, whatever is your passion in science, whatever is that, that thing that sparks your interest, the goal is to make everyone else feel the same way. So you have to, as much as you love that topic, your goal in life is to make everyone else love that topic and to have that same passion. So I like to say that you have to be dedicated you have to be create a level of confidence in yourself to make sure that you take you bring that point across. When we first started this project, you know, it it started it started as a side project. This wasn't something that was okay. Let's just create a woman of color lab. This was I started in mascara. I was challenged to do something. Prime opportunity for me to take on something that I absolutely love um, and that I wanted to fix. And I stuck with it. Most of the work that was done to come up with the range of shades for, um, for the world was done really on our own time. It was work that we had to do on nights and weekends to be able to get to where we are today. And it was be the reason why we took it took us so long to do it is because of that. We had to go on night in nights and weekends to collect the data. Uh, be able to have time to come back, synthesize the data. There's a whole bunch of numbers. We collected over 20,000 different data points. Uh, had to come back, analyze that data, then try to figure out how to translate that into shades. So with that, I mean, if we didn't have the drive and the motivation and the dedication to do this type of uh, research, it wouldn't have gotten done. You know, I was quite content um, working on mascaras uh, most of my patents are on mascara. So, you know, I say my, my bread and butter. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you have patents. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Actually, this had my mind is blown. Lab. I don't know anyone who has a patent. <laughs> oh, um, I just had another patent granted last week, actually. I just had another uh, 
I forget what, what I'm up to now. I forgot. I think I'm up to 10. You're so uncool. I think 10. Wow. I, have. I forget how many I have. But just to say that, you know, my focus <laughs> was on <laughs> mascara yeah. um, and yeah. focusing on my day job. But at the same time, you know, I, I had the passion to work on mascara. I loved what I was doing. Um, I was able to be quite innovative in that area. But for me, I was still lacking in this area for face because I knew there was such a huge disparity out there. So um, it's just important to continue to focus on what that passion is um, and to to bring that to everyone else so that they understand it and then they can see the relevance behind it. Because you can have a great idea, but if no one understands the relevance behind it, no one understands the relevance behind it. So you have to be in the forefront. You have to be your own champion. You have to be, you have to put yourself on that kind of pedestal, if that makes sense, so that everyone else can understand and, and accept and receive what you have to offer. So if I can say if any, maybe one word, motivate, you know, continue to motivate yourself because before you can mo motivate anyone else, you have to motivate yourself <laughs> uh, to be able to get to that end point so that your work can be shared with others. That's awesome. Thank you. So Thank much. you so much. This has, you certainly motivated me. Um, like I said, I, I didn't know a lot about makeup. I'm not, you know, an expert in it, but you got me excited about this problem of how difficult it is to make all these shades for, for the, the diversity of skin tones we have and and I just thank you so much for being on this podcast with us today. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Much. Oh, you're so generous no. with your time. Yeah, thank you. No, thank yeah, you so much. Just, I'm so joyous. <laughs> More red lipstick. Uh, yes. <laughs> Power to the red lipstick. <laughs> yes. Yes. And if you need if you need a, a guinea pig, it sounds like um we will right have three very happy volunteers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To, to put on speed dial. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, so thank you. Uh, we wish you, we wish you six, all the success in the future. Enjoy. Um, thank you. And, uh, and joy too with your with your daughter. Thank you. Arrived. And thank yeah. you so much for for being able to share this type of communication and information to other women in science. You, you your work is phenomenal. Uh, thank you so oh. much. Uh, it's very well appreciated. <laughs> very well appreciated. So. Thank you. Thank okay. you so much. All right. Oh, bye. 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 Let's talk about where folks can find us on the internet. We have a new website and we have a new Twitter account. And our handle for both of those things is Dr. Sarah Care. So we're plural, Dr. Sarah. So D-R-S and then our name, S-A-R-A-H. Care, C-A-R-E. Um, so that's our handle on Twitter and also our website on Tumblr. So that's drsarahcare.tumblr.com. And that's where we're going to be posting um, a lot of the links that we've been talking about in this episode. And thank you for listening to Self-Care with Dr. Sarah.